This is Radio Parallax, a slightly different perspective from a slightly different view, with topics that include matters in science, technology, history, politics, current events, and whatever we damn well please. And now the host of Radio Parallax, Douglas Everett. For our first item today, I think we need a little mood music. Mr. McMillan? I'm being followed by a moon shadow, moon shadow, moon shadow, leaping and hopping on a moon. Well, Radio Parallax is pretty sure that it's not a moon shadow that was following Cat Stevens. Yes, apparently the flight, United Airlines 919, en route to Dulles International from London, was uh, diverted to Bangor, Maine. Homeland Security Department spokesman Dennis Murphy said that um, Yosef Islam was interviewed and denied admission to the U.S. on national security grounds. He would be placed on the first available flight out of the country. Now, the reports I have say that, uh, according to Nico Melendez, spokesman for the Transportation Security Administration, a match was made between the passenger and the watch list while the plane was in the air. Federal officials speaking on a condition of anonymity identified the individual as Islam. One official said he was identified by the Advanced Passenger Information System, which requires airlines to send passenger information to U.S. Customs and Border Protection's National Targeting Center. That's the title, U.S. Customs and Border Protection's National Targeting Center. They then then contacted the Transportation Security Administration. Mr. Islam was apparently born with the name Stephen Georgiou. He took Cat Stevens as a stage name and had a string of hits in the 60s and 70s, including Wild World and Morning Has Broken. Last year, he released two songs, including a pre-recording of his 70s hit Peace Train to express his opposition to the U.S.-led war in Iraq. Now, uh, he was against the war in Iraq, and uh, when there was the Salman Rushdie um, Uproar. He apparently sided with Islamic fundamentalists who said that Rushdie deserved the death penalty. But other than that, uh, Cat Stevens, or Yusuf Islam, has uh, had statements against terrorism. After the September 11th attacks, he issued a statement saying, No right-thinking follower of Islam could possibly condone such an action. The Quran equates the murder of one innocent person with the murder of the whole of humanity. After the recent attacks in, uh, in Russia, he said on his website, crimes against innocent bystanders taken hostage in any circumstance have no foundation whatsoever in the life of Islam and the model example of Prophet Muhammad, peace be upon him. It does seem a little bit unclear as to why he was on a terrorist watch list. Officials had no details about why this peace activist might be considered a risk to the United States. Islam had visited New York last May to promote a DVD of his 1976 Magic Cat tour. Well, this this whole thing remains rather unclear to me and a lot of other people. Now, admittedly, Mr. Islam may have presented a threat to Salman Rushdie, but I'm not sure why they put if that's why they put him on the next plane and sent him back to London. I kind of doubt it. This apparently is where we're spending our money in Homeland Security, sending back peace activists from whence they came. Okay, um, on today's show, we're going to do a few shortcuts. Um, Yours truly is a little bit preoccupied, um, trying to help out the good people 
over at uh, Capital Public Radio. I'm, I'm substitute hosting over there on their afternoon show, Insight. And um, it's frankly eating into my radio parallax time. Fortunately, we have a, uh, a set of archives we can go to, and I'm planning to do that for segments two and three today. They'll be good ones. Um, and at this point in time, I'm not sure what they're going to be. By the time this segment ends, I will have made up that decision, and we'll let you know. But they'll be good. They'll be good. Stay tuned. Let's deal with some important news. Jeopardy! champion Ken Jennings was finally unseated after winning a record 74 straight games. That's according to Television Week. Now, the show is taped in advance, so his final game is not going to air until November. Jeopardy!'s production company refuses any comments on this. They never comment on who wins and what happens. They refuse to confirm or deny that report. We've never disclosed whether a contestant has won or lost before the show aired, said a spokesman. But uh, I'm glad this data leaked out. Yours truly, it's a lifetime goal to someday be on Jeopardy. I hope it can happen, but there's no way I was going to audition while the possibility existed of having to go up against this trivia machine named Ken Jennings. Yeah, I did. I did pass the audition down in Los Angeles twice, but doggone it, they never called. So, uh, you know, I think I'm going to dust off my uh, trivia books and start rereading and, and, and see what we can do about that. We're going to start off the show rather light today. I'm, I'm a little bit burned out this past week. So let's go to the gossip file. I, I love this item. Madonna propositioned George Michael when the two singers met in the 1980s. Michael told GQ magazine... He almost took her up on it, despite being gay. Quote, I thought she was really sexy. I was 23 and really intimidated and had a feeling it would be sex of the same intensity as if I was with a man. As, um, as far as the intensity thing goes, George, um, I'm no expert, but it seems to me could be. All right, we love the Week magazine, and <laughs> we love the Good Week 4, Bad Week 4 section. And in the current issue, in the Bad Week 4 section, it has the following item. Bad Week 4, Asking Directions. Three elderly North Carolina residents on a trip to the mall made a wrong turn and ended up driving to Georgia. It was 16 hours before they stopped to inquire where they were. A man, of course, was driving. You know, I think that's something of an unfair stereotype. Uh, I was in Maryland. Circumstances put me in Maryland about seven or eight years ago, driving to meet a man that that, um, none of the three of us in the car had met. I was driving with with two ladies, and we were looking for um, a street sign. Couldn't find it, and so I pulled over and asked asked a man walking the street if he knew where uh, this road was. The two women looked at each other and their jaws dropped and said, a man who asks directions? Guys, do you think we're really that bad? I don't know. The previous issue of the week had the following story. It was a bad week for the power of belief. After seven people attending a self-help seminar in Austria were urged to walk over a bed of red-hot embers. If you can walk over hot coals, you can do anything the seminar leader told them. 
All seven are now in the hospital being treated for severe burns to their feet. Uh, that last issue was uh, included an item of a good week. It was a good week for free enterprise when an Ohio man began an eBay auction to sell his presidential vote in that key swing state. Bids were started at $50. However, uh, James Penkoff, 36, had to later be informed of the fact that it was illegal to sell your vote. I've got a feeling that's not going to stop a lot of people come November 3rd. And uh, let's, we're doing three in a row. Let's go back the week before that. Same magazine, The Week, their section, Good Week 4, Bad Week 4. They thought that issue, it was a good week for payback when Teresa Lepore, who designed Florida's controversial 2000 butterfly ballots, lost her bid for re-election as Palm Beach County elections supervisor. Now, in this program, we informed you of the fact that Ms. Lepore was the designated authority in counting the votes <laughs> and uh, was deciding which votes to include and exclude. And uh, there was, you know, it was widely believed that, uh, you know, mischief may be afoot, but uh, maybe not. It's, it seems rather apropos that the woman that brought the butterfly ballot to us in 2000 came up empty. Uh, let's do a few items from that magazine again before we move forward into some more somber stuff. Officials in Atlanta threatened to suspend a student last month for wearing a t-shirt that said Hempstead, New York, 516. They believed it was a reference to the hemp plant or marijuana. Terrell Jones was allowed to return to class only after persuading administrators to consult the internet and verify that the shirt referred to his hometown and its area code. You know, with the amount of illiteracy out there in our society, don't schools have better things to do than censor t-shirts? I don't know. Now, you really got to think things may be getting out of hand with the following item. North Carolina police and FBI agents swarmed a van as it pulled into a gas station after a witness called 911 to report that its driver was a Middle East of Middle Eastern descent who was videotaping bridges and overpasses. The suspect turned out to be a Mexican farmer filming his family's vacation. The guy was videotaping his family asleep, said Major Lucy Zastrow after reviewing the tape. He taped the sunrise, which was really quite pretty this morning. D do we have to be aware of taping family members while asleep and sunrise might get us uh, pounced upon by the FBI? Well, maybe so. All right, enough from the miscellaneous file, although that last one, we're, we're sort of edging our way back into politics, aren't we? It's an election year. What can we do? Uh, the big story of the past week uh, was Dan Rather apologizing for the fact that CBS did not adequately verify whether some documents it had regarding George W. Bush's uh, Air National Guard service in Alabama might have been faked. Well, they were faked. My research in the story uncovered the fact that uh, CBS decided to get excited about this and go rushing into, uh, you know, going forward with the story when they met with the White House, and to their surprise, the White House didn't challenge the documents. They therefore thought, aha, these must be genuine, and went forward over the objections of some of their, uh, their people.
They said they should not go ahead with the story. Well, they went ahead with the story and got an egg on their face. It's curious that uh, certain Republican operatives uh, had noticed by watching the broadcast that there were peculiarities in the type, uh, the typeface that, that gave away that it was a more modern document. Uh, you know, I got a feeling the White House was shown these documents and said, you know, we don't care what you do, but please don't throw us in the briar patch. That's right. You'd think the normal reaction would be to say, well, why don't you check this out more thoroughly, or we'll check this out, or we have our doubts. No, they just kind of went, huh, leading CBS to think, I gotcha. Could this be a maneuver of Karl Rove's? You know, I had a chance to put uh, put that question as to whether CBS might have been duped to uh, to journalistic legend Richard C. Hodlett over across the way on, uh, on KXJZ, and he said, well, anything's possible, but I, I don't know. It's also possible that being uh, born in the Vietnam era, I'm a little more cynical than Mr. Hodlett. But uh, I don't know. I've got my suspicions about this story. Big suspicions. Let's talk about some other suspicions. We were going to go to our, uh, our poll expert, Jerry Polikoff, to talk about the latest numbers that came out of John Zogby. I was amazed to get Jerry's um, email that showed the latest numbers, and then read the B not a half hour later that morning to see completely different perspectives being put out there. I really think that Zogby is closer to uh, the truth. And we would remind you at this point that in the 2000 election, all seven of the major polling organizations other than Zogby predicted that George Bush would win by an average of three percentage points. No one had him winning by less than two. He, in fact lost by over a half a percentage point. Zogby apparently got it closer than anyone else did back in 2000. I think they're more accurate now. And if you were reading the poll numbers correctly state by state, John Kerry would still have a lead. It has narrowed, but he still has a lead. This notion that Bush is pulling ahead just ain't so. There's a lot of new data coming in. Jerry didn't want to come on this week's show, but we'll bring him back next week to talk about this and hopefully uh, give you some numbers that you can rely upon. And KDVS's very own Dr. Andy Jones. Uh, after completing last uh, Thursday's program here, I met with Dr. Andy, and we put together, I thought, a pretty doggone good show on the English language. It was over on CAP Radio, and I must say they, 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 they were very impressed with Dr. Andy as a guest, and, well, they should be. Um, if you're interested, that is available on the capradio.org website. Uh, just find the appropriate day, which was last Friday, September 17th. And uh, I think it's very good to have joined uh, two fine institutions, such as Capital Public Radio and our own KDVS. Dr. Andy, of course, is a computer whiz, and uh, they noted that he was the first guest they'd ever had who came into the studio, uh, whipped out a computer, and went onto the web using a wireless technology. It, uh, it, it, was, it was pretty slick. And, 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 and they and we are just hoping over there that other guests will follow in his footsteps. So uh, congratulations, Dr. Andy. All right, I'm going to have to uh, cut a few corners on this program today, but uh, we do like to do at least some science. And there's one, uh, one, one article here from New Scientist I think I'll end our segment with that's a really pretty remarkable story. New Scientist magazine, September 11th issue. Hawaiian tsunami left a gift at the foot of Kohala Volcano. 
The mysterious marine fossils found at the base of the Kohala volcano in Hawaii were apparently deposited there over 100,000 years ago by a tsunami, a colossal tsunami, nearly half a kilometer high that swept inland for six kilometers. Now, for those of you challenged in the, in the art of uh, calculations using the metric system, that's a wave about 1,500 feet high. Researchers looked into this matter and discovered that uh, an underwater landslide apparently coincided with the fossils, took place about 120,000 years ago, triggered this giant tsunami that picked up corals and shells from deep in the ocean and spread them all over the west face of the volcano. That, I think, was a really bad day to be sunbathing in Hawaii. Well, now, that'd have made some fine footage for that movie, Riding Giants, don't you think? I'm Douglas Everett. You're listening to Radio Parallax. This is KDVS 90.3 FM, Davis, Sacramento.